All right, John chapter 3, bleeding into chapter 4. This is called Water and Spirit. Okay? So Jesus ends up talking to a man in John chapter 3, and his name is Nicodemus. So speaking of names, right? How would you like to be named? Nicodemus. Right? Well, this guy was, and I think he was maybe a little bit bitter about it, and he was kind of angry at life, and he had a little bit of a complex, and that's what made him become a Pharisee. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, right? So he gets his identity from his power and his ability to say things and people do it and follow the rules, right? He's a rule maker and a rule enforcer. This man came to Jesus by night, which means he's a little bit intrigued. And the reason he's coming at night is because he doesn't want people to know that he's coming to Jesus. Right? The Pharisees in the story and in the Gospels tend to be to stand against Jesus and be opposed to him. However, this man, Nicodemus, for whatever reason is a little bit intrigued by this man, Jesus, and the message that he's preaching and the life that he's living. So he comes to him by the cover of night, you know, undercover, stealth mode, says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, which this is cool. It just kind of, it kind of reveals a little bit of the background thoughts of the Pharisees. It says, we know, he's speaking for the Pharisees, we know that you are a teacher of God, which makes you wonder why the Pharisees are always questioning Jesus if they really knew that he was a teacher of God. So they come to him and say that he knows, the Pharisees know he's a teacher from God, for no one can do the signs that you do, meaning the miracles that Jesus performs, unless God is with him. And Jesus answered, truly, truly. I say to you that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this is confusing to Nicodemus. So Nicodemus is intrigued and confused at this point in time. Anybody else feeling intrigued and confused? Good. <laughs> I like it when you confuse Yeah. It means good things are coming. <laughs> yes. So he's intrigued and confused. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he is old? This is why Nicodemus is confused. He goes, he's thinking in the back of his head, he goes, I want to be born again. However, if I'm an old man named Nicodemus, how can I be born again? What am I going to do? Like jump back in my mother's womb? And he's sitting there thinking, that's actually what he says. He goes, what? How can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Nicodemus is confused. He goes, I don't understand how I, as an old man, can be born again. I'm not jumping back in my mother's womb. How am I going to do this, Jesus? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So how are you born again? You're born of water and of the Spirit. So you're born twice, right? Once, just 
naturally, of the water, like us, from the womb, right? Secondly, of the Spirit. The second birth, the born again, is from the Spirit. Um, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is intriguing. Jesus says that if you're going to be born again, you're going to be born first of water and then of the Spirit. And if you are born of the Spirit, you are going to live according to the Spirit. And if you do this, you're going to live in such a way that you're almost like a wind, right? He compares the Spirit to the wind. The wind blows wherever it wants to. And in the same way, the Spirit goes wherever it wants to, right? Now... Here's why Nicodemus is probably having a problem with this whole spirit thing. Remember, Jesus is a man led by the spirit, right? Here's why the Pharisees and Nicodemus are having some kind of like issue and tension with Jesus. Is that he seems to be a man from God, as in he does signs and performs miracles. However, he seems to have this freedom about him. That he just kind of is like the wind. That he just kind of blows wherever he wants. That he just does as he pleases almost. And these law-abiding Pharisees, these rule keepers, these law enforcers, they can't really wrap their minds around the fact that a person has true and legitimate freedom. Right? <coughs> they think that they're giving themselves freedom by the way that they keep the law. Right? Other people think that they have freedom because they can do whatever they want. Right? Is that freedom? You see, when you do whatever you want, whenever you want, when you just choose whatever it is, like you guys know this, you're teenagers, right? So when you're a teenager and you get small amounts of freedom, you say, I can do whatever I want. My parents aren't the boss of me. And I can live my life how I please. Right? But did you know? Did you know? That when you do that, when, when teens exercise their rebellious form of freedom, they actually become enslaved to their own pleasure. To their own desires. To their own whims. Do you realize that? And they're telling my, their parents, you can't tell me what to do. They become a new slave to their desires. And you can't tell me that you're not a slave to your desires when you must do whatever your desires say. Right? Hmm. Anyway, Pharisees and rebellious people alike can't comprehend or understand this freedom that Jesus lives. Okay? He's like the wind. He blows where he pleases. However, he's not exercising a rebellious freedom that does what he wants when he wants. He is a captive audience constantly to the Spirit of God. Jesus Christ, born again. 
doing always what the Father asks of him. And this intrigues Nicodemus, right? This is like a mystery to be solved to Nicodemus. I can't wrap my mind around this, says Nicodemus. So he comes to Jesus by the cover of night and says, what is this? And Jesus says, truly, truly, I will say to you, which means I'm telling you the truth, right? And here's the good thing about truth. Lies make us slaves. Truth sets us free, right? Truth can give you life. So Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you must be born again, Nicodemus, if you ever want to experience this freedom, this liberty, this spirit-led life that I have in God. So Jesus speaks truly because he wants to speak life to Nicodemus, right? We do a tremendous disservice to people when we, when we like, uh, give them half-truths or when we kind of beat around the bush about things, or when we don't tell them the entire truth, we do them a great disservice because we're actually making them captives by telling them half-truths. Though sometimes telling the whole truth will make people angry at us, just as people were angry at Jesus, telling the whole truth will actually set people free. And Jesus says, look it. This way that you're living as a Pharisee is not quite cutting it, Nicodemus. You think you're free. You think you're in charge. You think you're a ruler of the Jews. However, you're not. You're enslaved to power, Nicodemus. Now Jesus teaches something. He teaches that the spirit is like a wind that blows wherever it pleases. So what we have to distinguish is between what Jesus talks about elsewhere as the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Nicodemus and Pharisees alike were all about the letter of the law, right? Do this, don't do that. Keep it precisely. Tithe exactly this amount. Don't only tithe this amount out of your income, but tithe this amount out of your spice rack, all right? Do you think Pharisees were good, well-behaved people. Yeah. However, good, well-behaved people might not be born again. Good, well-behaved people might not see the kingdom of heaven. Good, well-behaved people might not be led by the Spirit of God. Right? He says, Nicodemus, you are so entrenched in the letter of the law, keeping it down to the T. In fact, Nicodemus, you cross your T's and you dot your I's when it comes to the law. You do everything, not only just enough, but go above and beyond. And you're sitting here scratching your head like, well, isn't that the right thing to do? Be exactly the best rule keeper that you ever could be? Isn't that what gets you into heaven? Jesus says, no. It's not the letter of the law, Nicodemus. It's the spirit of the law. And some people get uncomfortable with the idea of the spirit of the law because there's freedom in the spirit. Where the spirit is of the Lord is there is liberty. People can't control freedom, right? 
kind of like a wild stallion, like a young horse. It does what it pleases. It goes where it wants. You can't control a young stallion. However, young stallions are really fast and really powerful. And people, people admire the strength and the courage of a young stallion, right? This is what it's like with the law and being born again of the Spirit. See, we like the letter of the law because it's easy and nice to fit in a nice clean box and color inside the lines and check mark every single box to make sure that we did everything every day. However, Jesus says, I'm going to teach you about a new law, and it's this law of grace. Right? And under grace and under the spirit of the law, there is liberty, there is freedom, you're like the wind, you go where the Spirit goes, you do what the Spirit says, and you are not a slave either to the law or to your own <coughs> desires. See, when people are under the letter of the law, they believe this lie. Right? They believe this lie that says, if you're a bad person, God hates you. Anybody ever thought that way? If you're a bad person, God hates you. However, that's completely contradictory to everything the Bible says. It says, if you're a bad person, God loves you. So people that are well-behaved people and rule keepers, they try to act better and behave better, convincing everybody around them that they're a good person, so that God will like them more. Right? Jesus says, no. Your good behavior doesn't enter you into the kingdom of heaven. The Spirit of God that makes you born again is what enters you into the kingdom of heaven. And nothing else. Right? You see, we're caught up here between something like tradition, which can be a good or a bad thing. If we idolize tradition, it's a bad thing. If we use it helpfully to like teach people where they come from and what's your story and how did God make the earth and, and this is how we do things and this is how you bake cookies, right? Some people have a cookie recipe that's been passed down for generations, right? And it's good for mothers to teach their daughters how to do this cookie recipe, right? This is a good tradition. There are bad traditions, though. When you make the tradition the ultimate point, you enslave people. Because you're telling them to worship an idol. And you've idolized the tradition. So this is the difference between tradition and breath. Right? I know. It's weird. I'm weird. You can tell me about it later. This is the difference between tradition and breath. Right? Tradition, if it's idolized, says you must behave a particular way. You must do a certain thing. You must live up to these standards and you're good and God loves you. However, breath, the spirit, spirit like a wind, says just because you were born, God loves you. 
And there's nothing that you could do to earn his love and affection. He already loves you. Right? Just like he put the breath of life into Adam, formed Adam out of the dust, crafted him, molded him like a potter forms the clay, and he breathed into Adam. Right? Adam became alive with the very life of God. And God says, just because I breathed life into you, that's why I love you. Not because you're good enough, not because you're well-behaved enough, not because you offer this many sacrifices or go to church this many times a week or tithe this amount of money. Just because you breathe with my breath that I gave you, I love you. Do you realize that if that every time we breathe, I don't know how many times we do it a day, right? Thousands of times a day. Every time that we breathe, that is a gift from God, right? We wouldn't even have that breath if he didn't give it to us. And he goes, that's what I want you to realize, Nicodemus. Stop being a good rule keeper. I don't want you to be a well-behaved person. I want you to be a person born again that loves God simply because he loves God. I don't want you marred, strapped down by traditions. I want you as free as the wind outside. You don't precisely know where it's going to blow until it goes there, right? And that brings us to the point of marinade, right? Marinade. You guys ever use marinade? Like, what? Yeah, for your steak. Okay, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Mar marinade. It's like... It's like soaking your meat, like steak or chicken or other meats. It's like soaking it in a flavorful sauce overnight so that when you barbecue it the next day, it tastes amazing, mm -hmm. right? Marinade. Jesus says, I want you to marinate. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. I didn't come to do away with good behavior. I came to give you a brand new born-again life that you live your life so free and so well that you don't even need a law or rules to live well. I want you to marinate, right? Like a good piece of meat. God tells Joshua before Joshua marches into the promised land. Joshua I don't want you to be afraid. And he's like, I'm a warrior. I'm not afraid, God. And he's like, bless you. And he's like, I want you to marinate in my word. And think about the word, the scriptures that Joshua had at that point in time. All he had was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Pentateuch. First five books. That's all Joshua had. He goes, I want you to meditate on my scriptures. Meditate on my holy scriptures day and night, and you will prevail everywhere I want you to prevail. I want you, Joshua, to marinate. Did you know that if you meditate and marinate in the law, it will actually set you free and not make you a burdened slave? Right? If you understand it for all it's worth, 
And for all God is trying to communicate to you through the law, if you understand it properly, the law, the scripture will give you life. Right? Now you're like, well, that doesn't make sense because Paul says the law brings death. No. What Paul means is that living in a pharisaical way, like Nicodemus, that will bring death. However, the law is liberty because the law is now Christ. It's a breath. It's a wind. It goes where it pleases. It's not rigid and tight and straight angles and straight lines. It blows where it pleases. And you don't have to worry about are you staying within the lines when you're living according to the Spirit of God. Because you are dead to the law and now alive to Christ. He goes, I want you to marinate. Nicodemus, you think you know the scriptures because you talk about them all day long and you keep, about, you keep them and you tell other people to keep them. But Nicodemus, you're not marinating in my scriptures and in my law. See, Nicodemus is blind to his own sin, as most of us are. Most of us are blind to our own sin. We think everybody else has the problem. Everybody else is what's wrong with the world. Yet if you marinate on the law of God, the perfect law of God, <coughs> if you marinate in it, if you meditate on it, it says this, and this is why it sets you free. You are the problem. You're like, oh, I don't like that. Stop telling me that. You, I, we are the problem. That sound kind of counterintuitive? Does that sound kind of paradoxical? Finding out that I'm the problem sets me free? Yes. Because when you can admit fully, I'm the problem, and I cannot be my own salvation, then it makes you look beyond yourself in such a way that somebody else needs to be your salvation. Right? See, the law shows us that we're sinners. And the way we got to understand sin is that sin disrupts God's perfect peace and holiness. Right? Now, marinating in the law tells us that we are disrupting God's perfect peace and holiness. Yay! Some of us by choice, some of us on accident, some of us refuse to admit that we're even doing it. Jesus, skip ahead a little bit in this story. We hear about Nicodemus. He tells Nicodemus that he needs to be born again. We hear that famous line, for God so loved the world. He didn't hate the world. The world filled with people who never measured up to the law. The lower, the world filled with sinners. He never hated the world. He loved the world. It was so full of people that he loved that he gave up his life that they might have eternal life. We hear about all this. We hear about John the Baptist exalting Christ. And then we'll skip ahead to John 4. Right? Samaritan woman. Yay! All right. So there's a woman of Samaria. 
says 4 verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist, although Jesus did not baptize himself, did not himself baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So all these things that he's doing are saying, making the Pharisees really angry. Why? Because the Pharisees refuse to accept that they are the problem, that they are the sinners, and that they need the Savior. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field uh, where Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Right? Jacob loved Joseph. He played favorites with Joseph, so he gave a field to Joseph. So Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was in the sixth hour, right? So this is like around the middle of the day. And a lady is coming to the well in the middle of the day. And this is weird. Because people didn't usually go to the well in the middle of the day. So why is this lady going to the well in the middle of the day? Because she was dirty. Right? She was a dirty, sinful woman that people in town didn't like. She was, uh, well, how do we say it? She was sleeping around. She was that kind of lady, right? Nobody in town liked this lady. She had a bad reputation. Nobody wanted to be near this lady. So this lady went to the well when nobody else was at the well. Right? She went in the middle of the day instead of at the end of the day when the sun is going down and it's kind of cool outside and everybody goes and draws their water together. Right? She goes in the middle of the day when nobody's there because her sin has isolated her from the rest of society. Nobody wants to be around this Samaritan woman because she doesn't behave the right way, right? And they can't deal with people not behaving the right way. So this is what happens, okay? A woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. This is weird. Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman in the middle of the day at a well. Everything is wrong with this picture, right? First of all, Jesus is a rabbi. And rabbis would have this tendency that they so wanted to be about blame and temptation that they wouldn't even look at women, right? And there's a funny thing where rabbis, when a woman would walk by, they so didn't want to be tempted by the woman that they would cover their eyes like this, but they would keep walking. <laughs> and then they would go and bump into stuff and run into walls and end up these like bloody messes. They like run into a wall, get a bloody nose and like cut their shins and all this stuff. And they're like, oh, right? Because, <laughs> because they so didn't want to sin that they're like, oh my gosh. And then just keep walking right into a wall, right? So here's the thing. Rabbis for the most part, didn't even acknowledge women. Jesus walks up to this woman and says, give me a drink. All right, Jesus, who do you think you are? The spirit or something? Some kind of wind that blows wherever he wants? And Jesus is like, well, 
Exactly. All right. So Jesus says, give me a drink. For his disciples were gone. So it's just Jesus and this lady there. Okay. If you're a normal person, who's a normal part of society, and you walk out into the courtyard, and you see Jacob's well, where everybody goes and draws their water, and you see a rabbi alone with a promiscuous woman, what kind of assumptions do you start making? Oh, Lord, let me tell everybody, right? Right? And then you go and you get on Twitter and Facebook and you start telling everybody what you just saw and how this guy is a sinner, right? Jesus risks looking like a sinner to tell this lady the truth that will give her life and set her free. Right? Now, not only is she a woman, right? And he is alone in the area with her and not only does she have a bad reputation so not only is he risking his reputation but she is a samaritan woman so it says the samaritan woman said to him how is it that you a jew because jesus is a good jew right ask for a drink from me a woman of samaria a woman of samaria right jews didn't talk to samaritans get it Jews thought Samaritans were half-breeds, right? They weren't pure. They weren't full Jew. So this lady's got everything going against her, and Jesus risks talking to her to speak to her the truth that will set her free. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Rabbis don't talk to women, right? Everything about this is like bad case scenario. Um, So... She asked, how do you ask me for a drink? Why of Samaria? For Jews, this is in parentheses, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. See, even the Bible says. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. have to be born of the water and of the spirit you have to have water to live correct we'll die and like you know if a week goes by and we don't have water we'll die in the same way if we don't have the spirit of god we will die we'll just pass away perish And he goes, why are you questioning the gift of God? She's questioning the gift of God. He says, give me water. He's about to offer her, in his own weird Jesus way, he's about to offer her living water, which means eternal life, which means she has to be born again, right? Just like he told Nicodemus. The spirit and the water. The water and the spirit. You need Jacob's well, but what you really need, Samaritan woman, his living water. And he uses this metaphor, I think, because she's probably thirsty. And when you talk to a thirsty person about God, you use them, you use God as the metaphor of water. Right? God is everything that you need right now. He will satisfy that thirst that you have. Because you're not thirsting for regular water, you're thirsting for Jesus' water. <laughs> 
And you're like, oh my gosh. Right? How many times do we question the gift of God? Too many. Too many. Yeah. How many times do we have such a low view of ourselves that we think, I am not worthy of the gift of God? And he's sitting at our doorstep trying to hand us the gift of his everlasting love and grace. And we're saying, no. Because I am not worth it. Well, who do you think you are? Smarter than Jesus? Uh-uh. Right? I don't know where I get this stuff from. Some people just can't pull that off. But the point is, how many times do we question the gift of God? We say, no, God, I would rather you hate me. I would rather you hate me. There was a sad scene from an old movie. Not that old. Well, I guess it's old now. It's like from the 90s. That's like 20 years. I'm old. Okay. Over it. So, there's this movie, which I would not recommend any of you seeing. Because I think it cusses about 2,700 times. Um, Yeah. So I'm in, no, I'm in no way recommending this movie or saying that you should go watch it. But there's a point from the movie. But what's the movie called? Goodwill Hunting. Oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that movie. It's, it's with Robin Williams, Matt Damon. Anyway, uh, lots of cussing, all this stuff. Not recommending it, but there's a valuable point of redemption in the movie. Right? Will has a gift but he doesn't believe in himself. He has the gift of an amazing ability with mathematics. However, he won't let his gift fully express itself. He won't even, like, accept the gift. He does it when nobody's around, when nobody's looking, you know. And he's talking to Robin Williams one day. And you you start to understand that Will got a bad image of God the Father from his own earthly father. See, his earthly father used to beat him. And he would get mad for no reason. And he would flip out and he would say, okay, what do you want? The belt or the wrench? Right? And if you have the kind of complex like Will has, which is, my father hates me, you would choose the wrench. Because, forget you, you don't control me. Right? How many of us, because of this same complex, will reject the love and grace and the goodness of God? Because we don't believe deep down that he values us. Because as God tries to give us something like the gift of water, we will say, no, forget you. I want the wrench. Punish me. Because I do all this stuff bad, so you must hate me. And if we truly believe that God hates us, 
We believe the lie that the world has told us. You must be good to enter the kingdom of heaven. That is not the gospel. And that is not good news. The gospel is not behave well enough and you enter the kingdom of heaven. What is the gospel? That all our joy beyond heaven What? All that, like, are saved into heaven. Well, here, here's the gospel. It's this. You are a terrible, you are a terrible abomination. You're like, oh, I didn't come to church to hear this. Here's the gospel of grace. You are a terrible abomination. So am I. It's okay. All right? Sometimes we self-righteous people like to get on our high holy horse and say particular kinds of people are abominations because they sin worse than I do. Right? No. The message of the Bible is that everybody is an abomination. And God loves you anyway. See, this lady, this dirty Samaritan woman who's promiscuous, she believes that she's an abomination. That's why she won't accept, but rather question the gift of God. Let's read on. Jesus answered her, Okay. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. This well is deep. Where do you get this living water that you speak of? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Uh Uh-huh. She might be understanding what's going on. He gave us this well to drink and drink from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. So, he speaks to her deepest desire. We're all hungry and thirsty for that friend. Right? For that that one friend who just accepts and loves us no matter what. And when our friends don't act that way, we get really mad at them and say, away with you. When our family isn't that friend, we get really mad at them and say, away with you. When our parents aren't that friend, we get really mad at them, and then we run away. (laughs) How many times have you told your parents that, like, like, you're just running around, you're all emotional, and you're like, I hate you, and then you get a backpack, <laughs> and you shove, like, a toy and a candy bar in it, and you're like, I'm running away, right? Yeah, that's never happened. Never done it? No. <laughs> I, I, I thought we all did it. No. See? 
But you did put a toy in the backpack. Nope. I just ran. <laughs> but here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The reason we're rejecting our parents in the moment is because they are not being the friend that we've always been looking for. In other words, our parents aren't being, in the moment, our salvation. And when we feel rejected at the core of who we are, we must run away. Because we can't stick around and handle it. Right? So Jesus speaks to her, desi- her deepest desire, her deepest thirst. He says this, Hey, you're always looking for that one friend. And in fact, you look for it in relationships with men. And you're always trying to look for that one friend. And you always keep doing the wrong thing. And your desire for salvation or for that one true friend who will never let you down, your desire for that leads you to keep being a repetitive sinner. And Jesus said to her, he speaks right to her heart. He already knows, but he speaks to her this way. Jesus says to her, go, call your husband and come here. He already knows. But the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right. (laughs) He's saying, you're right in saying I have no husband because you've had five. All right? And the man that you're with right now is not your husband. Oh. So Jesus already knows that this lady is promiscuous. But he says, go get your husband. Go get your counterpart. Go get your friend. The one who will never let you down. And she's like, I have no husband. In other words, I have no one who will never let me down. This is her deepest thirst. Right? The woman said... As Jesus says this stuff, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem, there, uh, the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, this hour is coming where neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is born from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak am he. What does Jesus say? I'll give you a water that makes you never thirsty ever again. Jesus says, 
to the woman, I am the friend that you are looking for. I am the friend who will never let you down. I am salvation. Jesus says, I am the Messiah. And do you want to worship God? Because worshiping God is what you were created to do. That's why he breathed life into Adam was to worship God. To give him the breath. To even praise God in the first place. Do you want to praise God? Is what he's saying to this lady. Then I must also give you the breath of life. And the breath of life is the Spirit of God. And the only way that I can tell you that you need the Spirit of God is to give you the unmuddled truth. I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm not going to hide behind any corners. I'm not going to duck away because I'm afraid of what you're going to think about me or say to me. I'm not even afraid if you would reject me. Because I must tell you the truth right now. God wants you to worship him, and to worship him you must be born again. And to be born again you must receive the Spirit of God. And to receive the Spirit of God, you must understand and accept that you are an abomination. You are a terrible person. You deserve the wrench. But God said, I'm going to give you a feast. Jesus tells us the story of an unbelievable, reconciling forgiveness. And if we read the Bible and miss the point of forgiveness, we mess the whole thing up. See this right here? This is not a rule book. Huh? This is not a rule book. This is a story of forgiveness. And reconciliation. And the rules are there to tell you that you're not a very good rule keeper, gosh darn it. So Jesus says to all people, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come to me, all of you who deserve or think they deserve the wrench. And I'll give you a feast. And I will put my best robe on you. And I will put my ring on your finger. And I will wash your feet. And I will reconcile you to the Father. If you acknowledge me before man, I will acknowledge you before the Father. If you are born again by the Spirit, it is the only thing that will ever set you free. You know what? Jesus is the friend that you're looking for. Jesus is the one who will never let you down. So can we stop being like Nicodemus, saving ourselves? Can we stop being like the Samaritan woman, rejecting the gift of God? Grace is a gift. There's nothing we can do to earn it. All we do is receive it. We don't have to do anything and we don't have to be good enough. We don't have to earn it. We just receive it.
Let's be born of the Spirit. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for these students who came tonight. I thank you that you brought them here for such time as this, that you know them by name, that you've called them according to your purpose, and God, that you love them and you want to give them an unbelievable reconciling forgiveness. God, I thank you so much for the life that's found in Jesus, and I pray that we would all get over ourselves just enough to realize that we need him. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.